Hello, my beautiful beans, and welcome to the episode of today. So in today's episode, I've got a brain fact for you guys. Very interesting brain fact. You're going to love it. Um, And then I've got, of course, the topic of today's episode, which is about coexisting with people that you don't agree with. So jam-packed episode today. Just a very, very quick – this is going to take me about two, three minutes. A little bit of housekeeping that I quickly wanted to get into. I don't want a negative tone. I don't want to be bitching and moaning and whining. But it does have to do with my Facebook group – This Facebook group is just my pride and joy. I fucking love it. You guys are incredible. There's like 24,000 of you guys in there. It is a fucking vibe. If you're not already part of it, please go ahead and be part of it. Now, I just want to explain something just to make it really, 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 really clear. There have been confusions around what the point of this Facebook page is because in the past I have said this is a really supportive group, this is really supportive and when I mean it's a supportive group, I mean that someone will come up and say, hey, I've been going through a really hard time, um, just looking for a bit of support and then people will will message them or comment on the post being like, hey, here for you, I'm doing this challenge, I'm doing this, let's all do it together, whatever, okay? But I have been clear and I've said this many times and I've not been muddy about this is that we can't have people posting these long-winded specific stories about their life for many reasons. When you start getting into the ins and outs of divorce and custody of your children, then you start getting a lot of advice and a lot of it is advice that I do not condone. So I have been very clear about the fact that I don't want specifics about personal stories up on that page. You can say, of course you can say, I'm going through a breakup, just need some uplifting things. Do you guys have a playlist to share? Or I've just gone through a divorce, it's a really hard time and this episode really helped me out because of this. Of course that can be done. But what I don't want is someone explaining the ins and outs of something that's going to be very messy because the group risks being shut down. This page has one purpose, one purpose. And that purpose is to get listeners of the podcast interacting with each other to form a community, okay? So it's for people to be like, hey, I'm from this town. Does anyone want to meet up? I want to find like-minded people. And I feel that if you listen to the podcast, we might be like-minded. It's for people that want to do, you know, a 10-day challenge or a 30-day challenge or whatever the challenge that I've set out in certain episodes to go go on there and then and do it. Some people have been really generous with their time and they've gone and summarized certain parts of my episodes, written them down into notes and uploaded those notes so people can share those notes so they can have it handy without having to listen to the whole episode again. Amazing. Perfect use of the group. What a lot of people, well not even a lot, a a small percentage of the group are using the, the group for is for something that it wasn't intended to be used for. And then when the comments get deleted or comments get blocked or whatever, I cop a backlash. What people have to understand is that I, as much as I love the Facebook group and the podcast and everything like that, I'm not running a charity and I do operate this group for one purpose only. And if the post doesn't fit the purpose, I am entitled, and so is Facebook because some of the posts have been deleted by Facebook itself, but I am entitled to delete the post. And I've had people saying, not just to me, but also to the moderators of the group, Um, messaging me saying, you deleted the post, this is supposed to be a supportive forum, this is this, like people fully coming at me, fully coming at the moderators, making or attempting to make me feel guilty that the post was removed. Trust me, you're barking up the wrong tree if you're trying to make me feel guilty because I have a very clear conscience and there's not many things that can make me feel guilty. I dedicate my whole life and profession to assisting people with their mental health. So if you're going to come at me and try and make me feel bad because I've deleted a post that doesn't serve the guidelines of the group, you're wasting your time. I'm sorry, but you're wasting your time because people need to understand that 
While someone might want to vent about something very frustrating that happened, your vent is causing members of the group that are here for the right reasons to leave. And that is not fair. So if you want to talk about fair, that is not fair. We've set the guidelines up. We've not said, this is a mental health support group. Come and share all, all you know, your, your stories and then go and delete it. We've said this is not a mental health support group for many reasons because we can't moderate every comment. Some of the advice that's given is things that we don't agree with and then it looks like we support that advice because sometimes trigger words come up and then Facebook deletes it and the the amount of times that we've been pushing back and forth with Facebook to not get the group taken down because of the amount of trigger words and things to do with violence and abuse, et cetera, et cetera. As much as I'm trying to support people in these situations, this group is just not the place for these really intense stories. We've had people upload photos of, of car crashes on this group, not the place. I'm trying to be as supportive as possible, but if we can't create the community that I intended to create on the Facebook page, the page will go down. It's going to go down and it has to get deleted. So I don't want that to happen. Most of you are doing the right thing, but I can guarantee you if your post got deleted, it's because it didn't fit the guidelines. You don't have to DM me. You don't have to go into my Instagram and then, and then yell at me for the post being deleted because it got deleted because it did not fit the guidelines. It also doesn't help if you just put the topic of the podcast episode and then go in this whole barrage where you're quoting things that have happened to you and and uploading screenshots of text messages where the other person who sent you the message has not given you consent to upload those private conversations. Do you know what I mean? Like there's really intense things that just cannot go up there because it does not serve the purpose of the group. Do I support mental health groups on Facebook? Definitely support the idea. Is this one of them? Unfortunately, it is not one of them. It is purely there to create community around the podcast, okay? And if people say, well, that's not fair, that's this, that's that, do you go and share all these stories on on Commonwealth Bank's Facebook page? No. And do you get angry at them if they were to take it down? No, you probably wouldn't. So I have a purpose for the group. I've made the purpose very clear. I don't want to seem like I'm being mean, but that is the end of the story. Posts that are not relevant, get deleted. It's not personal. We're not trying to be mean. But if we don't set the guidelines, then no one gets to benefit from the group because we cannot continue the group to run. Okay, so I hope that that is as I've made that as clear as possible. I hope that is understandable and hopefully most of you can see where I'm coming from. Anyway, let's get straight into the topic of today. Well, actually the brain fact of today. So today's brain fact, I want to talk about a condition called, it's quite specific, I want to talk about a condition called microcephaly, but specifically one of the causes of microcephaly, which is Zika virus. So if you guys all remember back a few years ago, there was this whole thing, especially in South America, of this virus, Zika virus, it was a a virus that was carried by a mosquito. And if you got bitten by this mosquito, then, you know, there was a whole array of problems. But the most probably terrifying problem um, or side effect or or condition that would come out of this virus if infected by it was the baby. So if a, if a pregnant person was infected by the Zika virus, the baby would be born with a, a whole array of problems, but the main one being something called microcephaly. A microcephaly is where the baby's head is much smaller than it's supposed to be. Well, there's microcephaly and then there's severe microcephaly. And a lot of these babies were born with severe microcephaly. So the baby's head is a lot smaller than it's supposed to be. 
the brain is a lot smaller and it's not fully developed in the womb or after the baby's born. And in severe cases, it's just due to a very big developmental problem during the pregnancy or the brain has like started to develop and then something's happened where there was trauma or damage and that has caused the brain's development to stop maybe altogether or stop quite dramatically. Now, when a baby is born with this condition, there's so many problems that can arise. A lot of seizures, balance and movement problems, sensory issues like visual issues, hearing problems, and intellectual ability disabilities as well. So um, it can also be very severe on the severe end and it can be life-threatening to some babies as well. So how does it happen? There's a whole range of things that can cause it. Obviously, I'm going to spe- specifically talk about the Zika virus, but other things can cause microcephaly as well. So it could be due to certain infections in pregnancy, not just the Zika virus. It can be due to lack of nutrition or, or insufficient blood supply to the fetus during development. Um, or it could also be to, for the fetus being uh, exposed to certain toxins as well. Now with the Zika virus, there was something very specific that was going on. So before I can talk about exactly the Zika virus, I'm going to talk about a process that occurs in the developmental stages of the embryo and the fetus. So in the very early stages of embryonic development, there's a process called neurulation. If you listen to my most recent podcast, I spoke about neural tube defects and what happens when the neural tube doesn't close properly. So in neurulation, you get the first ever cells that are going to go on to become neural cells, okay? And the neural tube at, at the very beginning stages consists of one single layer of these cells. They are stem cells called neuroepilithial stem cells. And these stem cells, these neuroepilithial stem cells, grow the neural tube out. They thicken it out by self-renewal. This is known as symmetrical proliferation. So that way the neural tube gets thicker, it gets bigger, it gets juicier. Okay. Now those cells eventually become the source of all brain cells bar something called microglia and there's a part of the glial cells I've spoken about. So you've got your neurons and for every neuron you've got 10 glial cells and there's a whole range of glial cells. You've got astrocytes, you've got oligodendrocytes, you've got microglia, a whole bunch more. Microglia are They're made somewhere else. They're not included in this. I won't go into it. But basically, they become the source of all brain cells, okay? And we have a whole bunch of different neurons. We've got pyramidal neurons. We've got motor neurons. And they start to figure out which neurons they're going to become a little bit later on in the process. But basically... Once these stem cells are fattening up the neural tube, they then continue to produce a copy of themselves and that copy is something called an early radioglial cell, okay? And this early radioglial cell, which has been created from the original stem cell, goes on to form neurons and glial cells of the brain, okay? So it's like this is the the parent, the radioglial cell is the parent, and then it goes on to create all these neurons and all these glial cells. Now, depending on the time that this cell is produced, it's going to determine what kind of neuron it's going to become or what kind of cell it's going to become. So we then look at the different stages of the developmental process of the embryo and the fetus. So for example, in the first trimester, it's going to be creating baby neurons, a whole bunch of baby neurons, and you've got this thing called neurogenesis, the creation of new neurons, okay? In the second trimester, it's creating a whole range of glial cells. Not all glial cells, but a range of them, astrocytes, and maybe they're thinking oligodendrocytes as well. Now, That's what they go on to make, and this is called glyogenesis, the creation of glial cells. Now, the Zika virus, when the 
when the mother, the carrier, is infected with the Zika virus, it actually crosses into the placenta and into the baby's bloodstream. The virus specifically attacks these neuroepilithial cells and the radioglial cells, which are created by the neuroepilithial cells, which are the original stem cells, okay? Given that these are growing and proliferating really early on in the first and second trimester, it's going to affect the amount of neurons that can be created. It impacts the creation of new cells, neurogenesis and gliogenesis. So those who get Zika virus in the third trimester, it's likely not going to affect the fetus in the way that it would in the first and second trimester. And it might not even affect it in the way of microcephaly. You might get other problems that occur, but this being born with a much, much smaller head, they might have a small amount of it, but it wouldn't be as severe as if the as if it was a baby that or a fetus that contracted the Zika virus in the first or second trimester. Because if you think about what these cells are doing, by that stage, by the stage of the third trimester, a lot of the developmental cells have done their job. They've had a chance to do their job. They've proliferated. They've gone and done the neurons. They've gone and done the glial cells. And now those cells are forming connections and things like that. Okay? So you've got to think about the neuroepilithial cells as like the building blocks. And the building blocks have done their job. So effects are just not going to be as bad and the chances of the fetus being affected by this specific condition are much lower in the third trimester. So that is why babies were being born with much smaller heads because the virus was attacking these building block stem cells. So these stem cells were not able to proliferate. They couldn't create new cells. And when there's less less um, proliferation, when there's less creation of all these cells, you can imagine the brain's going to be a whole lot smaller. It wasn't able to develop because things weren't replicating. They weren't being able to make copies of themselves. So it just stayed small. And of course, if it's smaller, you've got less neurons, less glial cells, less connectivity. So you're going to create all these other developmental problems that go alongside having um, a much smaller brain mass in general. So that is, I think, a very fucking interesting brain fact for the day so you can go on and share that information now let's get straight into the topic of today coexisting with people that you don't agree with so basically you don't want to be someone that acts like they're entitled to only interact with people that give them the right or the reason or that agree with them right if you're somebody that thinks oh I am I only have to interact with people that agree with me. Or if you're someone that thinks, oh, everyone has to agree with me, otherwise they're not worth my time, then you're going to be met with a lot of um, suffering in your life in the sense that you're going to have a lot of conflict. You're going to have a lot of people that just don't want to hang out with you. And sadly, you're going to have a lot of funny, intelligent, you know, open-minded people that will not want to associate with you. Because somebody that thinks that everybody has to agree with them in order for them to interact with them is not open-minded and no offense slash all the offense in the world I have no time for someone that's not open-minded you don't have to agree with me but you have to be open-minded enough to be able to just sustain a conversation with people that you don't agree with okay now I'm going to go into that in depth to so you can see what I'm talking about and I'm going to talk about the difference between ethical differences and moral differences and what I mean by that because I'm not saying that if someone's like some murderous sociopath and you disagree with them that you have to hang out with them anyway. I'm not talking about that, okay? I'm talking about disagreements in general, you know, things that you don't agree with and how to get along with people like that and how to coexist with people like that because there's going to be different populations of people that I'm talking about in this episode. One population is going to be people that you absolutely do not 
agree with on so many things to the point that you don't even want to hang around them and how you can coexist with those people. And then I'm going to talk about how to coexist with people that you don't agree with on a lot of things, but on a lot of other things, you actually really enjoy their company. And it might be like a conflict in your own mind being like, half the time I love getting, I really get along with this person and I enjoy their company. But the other half of the time we're arguing you know, really intensely about something that we absolutely cannot see eye to eye on. I'm going to be addressing both those things in this episode. Hopefully, by the end of the episode, you'll be able to broaden your horizon around the people that you can not only interact with, but you'll be able to broaden your horizon on who you can be friends with and also who you can be in a relationship with, okay? So there is a lot that's going to fucking go down in this episode, okay? It can be actually quite a lot of fun interacting with someone that you don't see eye to eye on. You can have the richest relationships with those kinds of people, okay? Now, what I'm going to be also focusing on, well, or or not focusing on, is that we're talking about disagreeing on topics here. Belief systems that generally affect the individual. I'm not talking about someone who's defending the fact that they are a racist or an abuser or someone whose actions are directly impacting or hurting someone else. That is a different topic. That's got nothing to do with agreeing or not agreeing because we're now talking about something that's heavily impacting or directly impacting another individual, okay? That's something different. This episode is going to cover getting along with people that disagree with your ideas and your beliefs, people that always challenge your statements, whether they do it on purpose to press your buttons or whether they just feel like sharing their opinion as well, and people that you have to coexist with that you have zero interest in interacting with, but you have to, okay? Now, I'm going to quickly break down the difference between ethics and morals to start with because if you can't understand the monumental difference between these two, then you're never going to become good at discussing conflicting topics, okay? You're, you're going to tread on some toes here. Once you get really good at understanding the difference between ethics and morals, it becomes a whole lot easier to be really good at debating and um, discussing something. Not really arguing, I guess like arguing a point, but I'm not talking about arguments. I'm talking about debate and discuss, okay? So recently in the US, um, Roe versus Wade was overturned, okay? As we all around the world, we know that, okay? And now it's up to the individual states, you know, to allow um, abortion or to ban it, okay? And this has caused, you know, a huge uproar protest. It's been absolutely awful to watch from, from, I'm guessing, every country, but from here in Australia as well. Now, this is a prime example where a group of people are making a decision that aligns with their own morals and not an ethical decision, okay? There is nothing ethical about it. So, we're talking about a group of people that morally believe that abortion is wrong, okay? So now all these people that have this moral belief have gotten together and said, we have this moral belief, we really don't think it's right, so we're going to now tell everyone that they have to agree with our moral belief. And if they don't agree with it too bad, we're imposing our morals on you. But it's nothing to do with ethics because ethics says, I might morally disagree with an abortion, so that means that I personally will not get an abortion because it goes against my morals. But ethically, I understand that there are people out there who are going to be in a position where A, they need or want an abortion and B, they don't share the same morals as me so it doesn't affect them psychologically the way it would affect me if I wanted an abortion. So I'm not going to impose my morals on you because ethically I understand that that is not my place. You have autonomy or should have autonomy over your own body and that is a decision that you make, okay? The same thing goes for there are certain religions that don't believe in blood or organ transfer. If you, if you, you know, 
let's say you're a surgeon and you're in a hospital and you have a certain religion, you follow a certain religion that says that blood transfusion, um, organ donation cannot happen. Okay, So you say, I will not allow that to ever happen to me. If I'm ever in, in a situation where it's life or death, I would rather just go down the death path because I do not allow any kind of don- blood donation or organ transfusion. That's just how I feel. However, if there's a patient that comes into the hospital, ethically, I can see that that person is deserving of a blood transfusion or um, an uh, organ transplant because they have that choice. I'm not going to impose my morals around blood transfusion onto other people. I'm just going to apply that to me. But in this hospital that I work at, everyone's got different religions, different beliefs, no religion, some religion, and they are entitled to have access to these things. I can't stop them. I can stop myself, but I can't stop other people in this hospital from having access to these things that are allowed and that is legal or whatever. Okay, So that is the difference in a nutshell, between morals and ethics. You may morally believe that something is wrong based on your upbringing, based on your religion, based on certain things that have occurred to you personally, but that is a moral idea and that is personal. Ethics discusses the greater good, putting morals aside. You can morally not ever want an abortion or not ever want to drink alcohol, but ethically you understand that someone else is entitled to that thing, okay? Now, why do we struggle to get along with people in general, okay? Why do we struggle to coexist with people that we don't agree with? The reason is because in a lot of cases, we feel threatened. We feel that someone disagreeing with us threatens our sense of who we are. And disagreeing or someone disagreeing with you can sometimes feel like an attack. If you remove that idea, if you remove the idea that you're being threatened or this false threat, sense of a threat, then it actually can become can become fun. Not in every case because there's some situations where debating a topic could be painful or could trigger something in you, a feeling in you. But in many cases, you can actually save yourself a lot of drama and actually enjoy debate. You know, culturally, some countries are actually quite good at de- debating, whereas other countries, it's kind of like there's some taboo topics that are off the table you can't discuss. And then when someone does bring it up, everyone thinks it's it's considered rude, which I think is wrong for many reasons. I also think that there's a lot of emphasis put around this need to agree with people and this need to be the same. You know, like, oh, you know, we're all the same underneath or, oh, you know, once you dig a little bit deeper, you realise that, you know, we're all the same. What's wrong with being different and just acknowledging someone's difference, differences and just coexisting that way? Because like I said, we see something as a threat. If I can't see the similarity between you and me, then you are a threat. That's a very, very, very unhealthy way of living life and, you know, going about your fucking day, right? If you think that you have to agree with everybody, how bland do you think your circle and your life is going to be? And not only bland, but your perception of reality and the world is going to be warped as fuck because you're actually not going to have much of a clue about the community and the society, the country and the world that you live in if you only associate with people that align with all your beliefs and all your morals and all your thoughts and all your opinions, okay? This is why algorithms on social media can be fucked. It can be really good to save you time because it waves everything that you agree with and everything that you want in your face. But then it gives you... This idea that that's just life, that's just your reality, you know. You get given what you want to hear, not what is real out there or not what's going to challenge you or not what's going to open your eyes to reality. So you think 
that what you see on social media is the landscape of the world. This shit that I'm used to seeing, this shit that I'm used to talking about, reading about and hearing about, you think that more people are like you and more people agree with you than what is actually the case. And there's actually a whole world out there. And if we don't seek to coexist in peace, then you are at war. And the more you try and live your life, I'm talking on a greater scale and even on a small scale, the more you try and live your life seeking similarities with the people around you, the more fear you're going to cause, the more misunderstandings you're going to cause, and the more conflict you're going to cause for yourself and for those around you. Now, back to that that statement of um, you can't talk about politics, sex or religion. There's actually a huge difference between, like I said, arguing and discussing something. And the reason why people get really, really defensive on these topics, um, sex, politics and religion, is because they tie way too much of their identity to that topic, okay? If you cannot discuss these topics or other topics in general, but these topics calmly, it's because you have tied way too much of your identity and your ego to this issue and you don't have command over your emotions. End of story. There is no other reason, okay? It is because you have identified with that thing and when someone attacks your opinion, you feel personally attacked. There's no other reason. There is no other reason. Because even if someone's saying the most hurtful things, the most awful things about that thing, you you can still keep a calm mind being like, well, at the end of the day, if we don't agree on this, it's fine. If you're going to get aggressive, I'm not going to continue this conversation. But if you're saying all these things that counter what I'm saying, I should either A, be intrigued and impressed at your ability to discuss something and come up with a good argument, B, be able to change my mind or C, be so entertained that I can come up with a really good counter argument because I'm so, um, you know, I back what I'm thinking so much, okay? But if you get fired up and angry and emotional and attacking, then it's no longer got to do with the actual topic itself. Then we're talking about emotional issues here, but it's got nothing to do with your difference in beliefs, okay? It's got to do with how you've gone about arguing that thing. Because the truth is, as much as you might not be able to fathom someone choosing a certain religion, it is their choice and it has nothing to do with you. As long as it doesn't neg- negatively impact you and as long as they're not trying to convert you to their religion and annoying the fuck out of you, then it has nothing to do with you. I personally would hate something being rubbed in my face, but I have no issue someone following a religion that works for them, works for their life. Why would I? It's none of my business, okay? Sharing ideas or opinions is what keeps people civilized, especially when we talk about religions and beliefs. Because... We know for a fact that it's not possible that the whole world believe the same thing, have the same religion. That's not going to happen. So the only alternative is to share ideas and opinions and be educated, keyword educated, around how other people live and what their belief systems are and what they need to do in order for them to lead a peaceful life and what we need to do to lead a peaceful life and how to coexist together as a community, right? But... If you cannot accept that others have a different belief or opinion to you, then that's where you're going to get angry and that's where you're going to lose control. I'm all for debating. I'm even for passionate debating, okay, and sharing how you feel. But to call someone, to character assassinate while you're trying to debate something is when you've lost the plot. Like that's when it's game over. To call someone an idiot or a moron actually weakens your argument because you have nothing to say about the actual topic. To be a good – to be someone that's good at arguing and debating – and discussing, you are someone that can stay on topic, okay? 
without having to repeat yourself 30,000 times. You should be able to stay on topic to bring bring in different pieces of evidence or different things to think about around that specific topic. The moment you remove yourself from the topic and then you go about attacking the person that's arguing the topic, you have weakened your argument to say, moron, you're an idiot. Well, you must be fucked if you think that. And rah, rah, rah. You can feel that way, but it adds nothing to your argument and you've just gotten shit at arguing, okay? Now, most people as we all know, can't do it without feeling attacked. And this is why that social rule came about because we attach too much of our ego and our identity to these specific topics that people just can't do it well in generally. Okay, so it's so we've created this social norm that let's just fucking, let's, you know, we're all three-year-olds at a daycare. You can't do it properly. All right, you're banned. You're not allowed to do that. You, you want to chuck a tantrum, you don't get the candy. And the candy is arguing about these topics. Another issue with not wanting to be around people that you are different to or that people that you don't agree with is that you actually start blocking out a lot of people in your life. A very basic and small example of this is a lot of people when they are single and a lot of their friends are in a relationship, they complain that they have no friends. Oh, you know, everyone's in a relationship. I can't hang out with them. Firstly, what friends do you have? Because why is it that the moment that they enter a relationship, they transform into a different human being altogether. I have maintained all my friendships since dating Tyrone. And before Tyrone, when I was single for three years, and then prior to that relationship, another three years that I was single, most of my 20s I was single, I would hang out with mo- most of my friends at one time or another, at one point or another, we're in a relationship, okay? And if you think the world is falling apart because all your friends are in, t- in a relationship and you're single and you can't hang out with them anymore, either you need to rethink your friendship group or you need to rethink this concept that you have around what a friendship is. Because if a friendship has to be someone who's in the exact same point in their life as you, then you're going to have to you're going to have to re reevaluate your friendship group every time you have something different happen in your life. Oh, then at the moment you get into a relationship, better fucking can all my single friends because God forbid we are at different stages in our life. Oh, my child just had a, my, my friend just had a child. Sorry, we're so different now. Can't hang out with you anymore. You've got to learn to coexist with people that don't align with you 100%. Yes, there are some people that when they get into a relationship, they turn into a shit cunt and they're no fun at all. Find new friends. But in general, you should be able to hang around with a couple and be a th- quote-unquote third real, third wheel and have a good time. You know what I mean? But if you enter it being like, they're a couple, they're a couple, they're a couple, this is annoying because I'm single, you're going to focus on the fact that they're a couple, you're going to find things that annoy you, you're going to create drama out of nothing and you're not going to enjoy that encounter, okay? Because you think, I've got to hang around people that are just like me. You're going to suffer and everyone else around you is just going to keep living their life, not realising why you're sitting there in the corner suffering. Now, I'm going to give you four questions to ask yourself when you are entering into a discussion with someone, a debate with someone, or when it's someone that you really, really don't get along with that you disagree with, okay? Number one, do I need to understand or is it something that I just tell myself to justify why I feel so uncomfortable? So, for example, if you are of a different generation and you don't like something that the generation below below you or one generation down is doing, you say, well, the reason I don't, why I don't understand why, why the young people do this or when you are homophobic and you say, well, it's just that I don't understand. I just don't understand transgender or I don't understand gay people or I don't – that idea, okay? 
Is it that you don't understand or are you just trying to justify the fact that you feel so uncomfortable? Okay. Ask yourself then as part of number one, it's a sub question. How does it, how does not understanding negatively impact me directly? Okay. So for example, you could have a friend, everything's going all well and good. And then you find out that they have a religion that is very different to your religion. You could say, cool, didn't know that. Anyway, next, let's keep hanging out. Or you could be like, oh my God, well, I just don't understand why that religion believes this and I don't understand why they do that and I just don't understand. So then it starts competing with your ability to have a relationship with this person, a friendship with this person. But ask yourself, does this negatively impact me directly? Does not understanding their religion or does not understanding why your child has decided to choose a different political party to you, does that negatively impact you directly, not indirectly, not like, oh, I'm upset because we don't agree. No, no, directly. Like how does it actually impact your life other than you're just having a tantrum, okay? That's question number one. Question number two, always ask yourself, is this an ethical issue or a moral issue? Are we disagreeing on something morally or are we disagreeing on something ethically, okay? Because I'm way more likely to push back on something that's an ethical issue versus a moral issue. Because if it's a moral issue, you're talking about something that impacts you and your beliefs and how you choose to live your life and how you choose to conduct yourself. That's morally. I might look at that and think, fuck ever doing that for me, but I'm not going to go and tell them that because it's none of my business, okay? So that's what it really annoys me when someone comes up to me and says, oh, I would never, I would never wear that, like weird, weird choice in outfit because I'd never wear that. Congratulations, cunt. Congratulations. I don't care. I don't care that my outfit is not something that you would ever wear. The fact that you've told me that has just wasted my time, basically, because it's not directly impacting you. It's not really impacting me. Be gone, okay? But that, so that, that's, that's, you know, like someone's personal choice. It's none of your business. Is this a moral issue? Who cares if you disagree with it? It's not really affecting you. Ethically, sure, you can push back. Ethically is where you should get fired up, where you should have passion and emotion behind because that's where big changes get made. That's where new laws get passed. You know, ethically is when people fight for justice, whether they are impacted by that injustice or not. Okay. That's where ethics comes into play. But morally, if you're asking yourself one of these four questions, say, is this an ethical thing or is this a moral thing? Because if it's a moral thing, then you have to be way more relaxed and you can make it a debate You can question someone because you're interested, but you should never attack somebody due to a moral decision that they've made for their personal life. Then you ask yourself, number three, is their belief system directly impacting me to the extent that I can't exist comfortably? And the the answer might be yes. For example, if someone's always giving you their opinion on how you look or what you're doing or what, you know, then their belief system around you is fucking annoying. And you're like, I actually can't exist comfortably because you are infuriating me. You're a fucking pest. You literally don't leave me alone. All you have to say is, is things of criticism and you're not a good time. So th- that the answer might be yes. However, if you're somebody who is, you know, let's say you meet someone, they're a fucking vibe, you get along with them really well and then you find out that you vote for a different political party. Dun, dun, dun. What do you do? There's a lot of people that I know personally that would not date somebody because they have they vote for a different political party, okay? One of my best friends, actually. I was trying to say, like, oh, this guy's a legend. I think he's interested in you. Would you ever – would you be interested? 
And she was like, no, 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 because he votes X party. And I was like, oh, is that enough to actually turn you, uh, turn you off someone? And she's like, oh, well, it's just just differences in our beliefs. And I'm like, well, that might be the case. You, that might actually impact you enough. But Tyrone and I vote very different political parties, very different. And it hasn't impacted our – it just has not impacted our relationship whatsoever because I would never insult what he votes for. We would debate it for sure. We would talk – you know, we can have full-on debates about, yeah, but what do you think about this? Oh, interesting. Okay, what about that and this and that and what are your thoughts on this? Blah, blah, blah. You know, because I understand that we have different life experiences. He's not going to see everything through my lens and I'm not going to see everything through his lens. He is a taxpayer and entitled to vote what he wants to vote, as am I. So we can discuss things, but I'm never going to call him an idiot or whatever or this or that for voting for a party that I didn't vote for and vice versa. We coexist beautifully, even though we have very different political differences or political different opinions, okay? So, but that might not be the case for you. You might think... No, I cannot exist comfortably with that person's belief system or with that person's political preference. Fine. But you might really question it and think, wait a minute, is it, does it really impact my life? Maybe not. Maybe the fact that we've got different political opinions is fine as long as we can respect each other's boundaries around that. Maybe yes, maybe not. But that's question number three. Question number four. Ask yourself, is there enough good here that I would actually want to hang out with this person. Just make sure that you're not cutting out everyone with a different belief to you out of your life, okay? Knowing how to coexist with other people is what allows a community to be a community. It's what drops down walls between cultures. It's what keeps the conversation flowing, okay? This is the mark of a civilized community. As long as one person's beliefs and morals are not negatively impacting the others or not even negatively but just impacting others in a way that they would have to change their way of being, then it should not impact you directly. It should not impact, oh, I can't hang out with this person or I can't hang out with that community. Hanging out with only one type of person or belief can give you a very wrong idea of what the world or your city or your your country is about, okay? I want you guys to be curious, not close-minded. Close-mindedness gets you nowhere and it gives you nothing apart from fear, anxiety, separation and delusion. You can be fully connected with someone or a community or a city or a country without agreeing with everything about them or without having to understand all their belief systems, okay? You can create connection while there are many, many differences. You can even create connection without fully understanding somebody. You can seek to understand, which is what I always encourage, but even if you don't fully yet understand it, you can still form a connection. And that's what an ideal multicultural community is all about. And the more you behave this way, the more people around you are going to absorb that and learn from you and learn from your open-mindedness and see how you are in a debate or an argument, not attaching your ego to it, not attaching your identity to it. You should be able to sit there while someone tears apart, as far as they're concerned, tears apart your belief system, as long as it's not, as long as they're not character assassinating or getting violent or whatever, but they could bring all these pieces of argument, even if you disagree, going bang, 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 bang. This is why I think that your argument or your belief system is flawed. And you should be able to sit there and in your mind say, this person has experienced life through a different lens than I have. So of course they're going to have different opinions to me. And while we're at it, if they're a good debater, 
fucking creative arguments. Here for it. Here's my response. And that's how you create a fun debate, okay? But the moment you attach who you are to that, you get hurt. It hurts because you think if that person wins this argument, quote unquote wins, because an argument should never have to be won or lost. You can debate something. If that person, quote unquote, wins this thing, then it means that I as an individual have lost. And that is wrong. This also comes down to why people suffer with apologizing so much because they attach their identity to what they've done and what they said. And if they have to renege that and, and if they have to go back on that and say, oh, I was wrong, people struggle to say I was wrong because they think that they're saying I as an individual am wrong. I'm, I'm bad. I'm, I'm incorrect as a person. Instead of saying, oh, that one thing that I said was incorrect. I apologize. Edit that. Sorry. A lot of people really struggle to do that because too much of their identity is tied up and they say, if I admit that I was wrong, then I have failed as an individual. Not, oh, I was just wrong about that one thing. I just want to finish with a little anecdote. And that is something something that I did when I was at uni. So when I was at uni, I was doing a double um, degree, a double major. I was doing a major in French and a major in cognitive neuroscience. And while I was doing my major in French, it was part of an arts degree. And I had like this one random elective left in my final year, my fourth year. And I was just trying to to find something that would fit into my timetable because it could be a first year elective. And I ended up choosing a subject called religion education. Okay. I'm an atheist, by the way. So I ended up choosing something called religion education. And it ended up being one of the best subjects that I ever took in my life. Okay. Because what this subject was, is you study different religions from around the world, okay? It was great. It was fucking unreal, actually. And for my last assessment, my job was to visit three different places of worship, physically go there and visit three different places of worship and report on it and compare them, okay? And do up a whole comparative essay on all three. We had to go alone, not as a group. There was no help from the university. We had to physically reach out and go as an individual, not saying, oh, I'm doing a university assignment. No, okay? It was a personal journey that you had to go on. So I went to a Scientology center. I went to an Eid day celebration at a mosque and I went and meditated at a Buddhist temple and it was fucking unbelievable, okay? Some of the nicest people at each of those places I met I had some incredible conversations and I learned so much. And at no point did I feel the need to talk about why I wasn't religious and at no point did anybody try and convert me at all because I was there to learn and absorb and I was there experiencing the religion and the culture and it was amazing. And did it change my mind about being an atheist? No. But I loved that experience. I loved seeing people be so connected to their religion and be so connected to each other. And I would do it again in a heartbeat. And I would recommend everybody go and do that because you can have these preconceived ideas about a certain religion or a group of people or whatever, but you've never walked one one fucking block in their shoes. You've probably never even gone and sat down and spoken and eaten with these people or, or, you know, just watched how they worship or watched how one of their ceremonies goes down. It's not about you agreeing, but it's about you learning and being there and understanding and 
and expanding on your own awareness of your, the, the people that you coexist with in your own fucking city. You know, these are people that you, you that, that drive your Ubers. These are people that are possibly your boss. These are people that you sit with on the train every single day. So it's really cool to, it was fucking awesome for me to go and do that. I loved it so much. I loved it. It ended up being one of the best, the best uh, topics that I ever did at uni. And am I still an atheist? Yes. Did I feel really uncomfortable being there? No. Because I was just in this mindset of, wow, I'm here to absorb, I'm here to learn. I was just in this like position of just like I was a spectator of life and it was incredible. So that's my little anecdote and I highly recommend that if ever anyone has the opportunity to do something like that, go ahead and give it a go. It was fucking sick. And if you have, if you're a part of one religion, go and visit another temple or a church. Talk to people, you know. And it doesn't have to be religion. You can talk to people from different cultural groups. You can talk to people from different, you know. But ideally, something a belief system that you disagree with. That's that's where the the real fun is you know really just absorbing something that you wouldn't normally agree with or or align with and be like I'm just here to learn and absorb and not give my opinion just learn and absorb